Hey guys, and welcome to the third episode of the Low Key Podcast. And here I have Susie, of course, of Brother Rabbit. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you tell us where you got that nickname? Susie, of course. Yeah, or why you use that sometimes. That's not my nickname. That's my actual last name. Is that really your last name? I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> you, no, it's not. Are you, okay. <laughs> but people always believe me for whatever reason when I say that. I'm just really gullible. That's why. So back in like 2006 or seven, and I was like, I'm not gonna put my whole name on Facebook. People will be able to find me. So I just, I, I just put, of course, so I wouldn't put my whole last name on there. And I didn't really use Facebook much then. People weren't really using it then. But then people just started calling me that, so I just kept it on there until. Facebook decided to change its policies and make me put my last name on there. It was very forceful and invasive and rude. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, Facebook took that off. Is that what you just said? Yeah. Yeah, I had to send. I had to scan a picture of my ID and send it to them and prove that my last name was, of course, which it's not. So I had to put my actual last name on it. It was really uh, like really invasive and bossy. <laughs> So so now do they put that back or No, I have my last name on there now. Oh. Okay. So we we don't need to tell anybody your real last name. So. Rude. Yeah. They can know. They don't have to know though. It's Okay. Better with of course. <laughs> <laughs> so you you're you're the lead singer of Brother Rabbit. I am. Um and uh what what uh who else is in the band with you? Brother Rabbit is just me and James Reza. When we play live, we have two other guys uh, filling in on drums and bass, but as far as the uh, brain of the project and the writing process and such, it's just James Reza and I. Okay. Who who writes most of the music? Do you just, like, switch off, you and him, or...? James and I both do. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's cool. Um, do you... Um, what what made you guys, like, start the band, or what, what, what made you create Brother Rabbit? I started Brother Rabbit about six or seven years ago. I'm the only original member. I was playing with some other people at the time. Um, and then I've cycled through um, quite a few people who would play for a little bit and then just moved on to something else. Um, um, we, we started playing shows back in 2010 and um, did, a little, did a few recordings here and there. And then I met James Reza about four and a half years ago. Um, and he wasn't playing with anybody at the time, and we kind of hit it off as friends. And so uh, we just started playing together and... Um, He's stuck with it, and um, he's been one of the most loyal and hardworking uh, musicians I've ever worked with. So, um, hmm. yeah, it's been it's been fun. I I've loved everybody and enjoyed everybody that I've played with. Um, I feel like that helped mature me musically, um, and I still keep in touch with a lot of them. Um, but uh, James fits really well, and I'm really glad to be playing with him. Yeah, that's that's awesome. What uh. What made you create, what, how did the name come about of Brother Rabbit? The name Brother Rabbit was, uh, the name (laughs) was actually the result of me not doing my college homework whenever I was going to school um, a few years ago. Uh, It was, I was in an art class and um, we had some assignment where we had to um, read through these like art history books and I was in the library and I, I was supposed to be in that section, I'd wandered off to the music section or something like that, and I found these old, like, hymnals 
uh, full of folk songs that slaves had written years ago. Mm. And a lot of them were very um, innocent and childlike sounding because they wrote them for their children, like as a way to encourage them through yeah. that, that uh, difficult period in history. And um, so a lot of them were very fairy tale like. And I remember reading one of them, and it said something about our brother rabbit. And I really liked like the childlike sound of it. And so it just stuck. That's, that. <laughs> yeah, that's really neat. Um, you had you you guys had a show last night, uh-huh. and um, how did that go? What was your favorite part of the show last night? It was so fun. We had a great turnout. Um, there were plenty of people there. My favorite part were our openers. Um, we had a harpist from Oklahoma City. She calls herself Sun Raya. Oh, I for remember us. her. Yeah. And, oh yeah, yeah. You saw her at Norman Music Festival. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she opened for us, and uh, I'm just always really inspired by listening to other people's music, and she's so brilliant and so creative. Um, my, the harp is my favorite instrument, and um, and I, I love watching her play. And then, of course, Joan Falls, which is James's other project. They're a spoken word, kind of post-hardcore That's act. Cool. Um, and, I mean, we've toured with them. We're about to go on tour with them again. I mean, I, I love, absolutely love playing with them. The music is very, um, very... Um, innovative and um, introspective it's actually the word I'm looking for um, and I, I just really like that style of music and I think they do it really well so I always love playing with them and, and listening to them play yeah uh, uh, you, you spoke about instruments how many how many instruments have you played or how many do you play currently just in general like just in just general in yeah um, well here's the thing like I play a lot of instruments but I'm not like proficient super proficient at one instrument you know I haven't necessarily mastered each one of these instruments but um, I, li- I, I like learning instruments and um, I've, I've picked up a lot of different instruments and you know wrote songs on them or whatever but I wouldn't consider myself proficient yeah. so as long as that's an understood <laughs> I, I play guitar um, and piano um, I sing, I play ukulele, I have a little lap harp that I play, um, I play the melodica, and um, I also have a dulcimer, um, I'm, I, I don't even know if I play it correctly, like I've written songs on it and stuff. What's a dulcimer but, again? I, um, I don't it's, know. It's a, it's a stringed instrument, um, you hold it across your lap, um, oh. it's used a lot in like old bluegrass music okay. and things like that. Um, I've seen those around like, those like... Like, it makes me think of India dulcimers. Yeah. Like, like. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's different, like, hammer dulcimers. There's different uh, types of dulcimers. Um, but, yeah, I mean, those are the only ones that I really, like, play well. Like, I, um, I've played, like, harmonica before and stuff like that, but I wouldn't consider myself, like, proficient at that either. <laughs> yeah. But I, I also, I have an accordion that I was trying to learn how to play, but... That would be awesome. Um, it's broken. The keys are broken, and so it's kind of oh, limited. Nice. Learning, <laughs> maybe someday. Yeah. Um, what What originally like got you into music, or why you Why are you into music? Well, I've been singing for as long as I can remember. Not necessarily publicly, but we have like a lot of um, old pictures of me as a baby, like walking around the house with one of those like Fisher Price microphones, you know. And, um, <laughs> I remember my grandma one year got me this cassette, uh, cassette 
tape player. Like you'd put a tape in it and you could record stuff with it. And it also had the radio on it, but it also had a microphone attached to it. And you could sing along like mm-hmm. with your cassette tape or whatever. And as soon as I got that, I thought that I was a star. And so we have like funny pictures like that my mom snuck of me um, in my room singing uh, through those. Um, I've always liked to sing. My mom taught me, I was homeschooled when I was younger and my mom, um, you know, of course was in charge of all of my classes and for like the music class she would teach me, she taught me how to play piano. Um, and then in fifth grade, I, in fifth grade I decided that piano was not rock and roll and that I wanted to learn guitar. <laughs> so my mom got me a guitar and I started teaching myself, um, um, my mom is very. My mom can sing and play piano by ear, um, but my family is not very musical. Um, but I, I feel like I've always liked, liked it and liked to sing. I've, I've always wanted to sing. Um, but I, I guess I've been doing that since I was a wee lass. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, your your music and stuff. Um, what what. What are some of your uh, some of your favorite songs and why you writ- wrote them, or what 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 they're what's what's the meaning behind them? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a hard question. Yeah. That's a hard question to answer. Um, my favorite song that we play at present at shows um, is the last track on our latest record. Um, the song is called "Till the Grave," and. Uh, it's a, it's a pretty long, a lot of our tracks are pretty long, but um, this one's pretty lengthy. Um, it only has one line in it, um, in which James and I sing together in unison, um, in harmony, actually. And um, it's just a long buildup. Um, I just like the arrangement of it. It's very atmospheric, um, kind of close to the post-rock genre, um, where there's a, there's a lot of build until it gets really loud. Um, and we just repeat the same line, I will rejoice in the sickness till the grave. Um, musically, I, I love the way that it's arranged. I like the buildup and the climax um, and uh, the heaviness of the end of it. Um, but I, I also really like sing, singing that um, into a room full of people. It's a very power. It's a powerful line to sing regardless of what you're... Um, your situation is, and I like to see other people singing along with it. Um, mm-hmm. That's probably my favorite one to play. I like I like the the track "Visitor" um, that we just released a music video for. Um, it's a very very long song, um, and there's a lot going on in it. There's a lot of instruments used. Um, I like that one a lot too. I hate the wrist. <laughs> 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 All the rest don't matter. <laughs> the rest are garbage. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, hold on. And we're back. Um, so, besides music, I, th- I think you you have a really there's 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 something behind you that's really cool and a story behind you, and um, I would. I'd love the listeners to to kind of hear that out and hear just your journey and your life and stuff like that because it's a really interesting and intriguing story. Sure. Um, 
Well, I, uh, I suffer from brain trauma. I had a stroke 12 years ago, and um, I hit my head, and the left side of my brain is permanently damaged, which controls the right side of your body. What happened was um, my brothers and I were in the swimming pool, and my older brother was tossing my little brother around in the water, and none of us were paying attention, and he missed where he was throwing. My little brother fell on me, and we hit heads. He ended up being okay because he was delivering the impact, but yeah. I was receiving it, so it clipped off, uh, it clipped in half one of the main arteries uh, that you have going to your brain, and chipped off a piece of the inside of my skull, um, causing blood to fill up in my head and, and press my brain against the side of my oh. head, causing brain wow. swelling. Um, so I suffered brain swelling, and um, I was life-lighted to a hospital uh, where they did brain surgery and put me into a drug-induced coma to try and, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for, to, to leak out the, the brain fluid, because I had excess brain fluid. Um, I stayed comatose for a week, and then exactly seven days later, I woke up, and um, I was paralyzed. I remember being able to use my to move my head, and I think I can move my left arm. Um, I actually have, like, very... My memories of this time are very fuzzy, but as far as, like, what I should be able to remember, I have a very clear memory of waking up. Um, and I was hospitalized uh, for an additional week after that, and they said that I wasn't going to get any better um, as far as getting movement back, mm-hmm. um, laying in the hospital, and so... They sent me home um, and just had me um, start doing physical therapy after that. Um, I was 11 years old, and I was always a skinny kid, but I weighed 70 pounds when I got out of the hospital. Um, and they even I remember them putting me in a very small wheelchair, and I didn't even fill up the entire chair. Oh. Um, and I didn't know this at the time, but um, I could only move uh, the left side of my face, like the right side of my face just stayed down. Um, I had two pictures taken of me the entire time I was in the hospital. And I looked at them later. And it was on the last day, like right before I went home, whenever I was doing best. Um, but in the picture, um, I'm smi- it's of my face and I'm smiling and only the left side of my face. Is there. I had no idea um, <laughs> until I saw that picture later. Um, so after that, I started doing physical therapy. And the goal was just to get me to, to walk again. Um, so... They did that, and I relearned how to use my right hand. Uh, I was I was born right-handed, so um, they helped me relearn how to hold a pencil and a handwriting. And I I still don't hold my pencil correctly. I just grip it. Um, I don't have that all that strength there. Um, but after that, I they they'd reached their goal of getting me to walk. I didn't walk right. Um, I limped a lot and swung my hip out and picked my knee up a lot whenever I walked. But I was walking, and that was their goal. And so they went ahead and released me. Hmm. Um, but, um, when you walk wrong, the rest of your body, um, goes into disarray. And so, um, mm. I'd walked wrong for a few years after that and started having pain. Um, so I went to a leg surgeon and said, I'm having pain, you know, what, what are we doing? And he was like, I can't believe that. Um, or actually I went to a different doctor and they were like, I can't believe like they were letting you walk around like this. You need to be in a brace. And so they put me in a brace. Um, and I walked around in that for a while and still had pain. I went to another doctor and he said, I can't believe they put you in a brace. Like your foot's going to freeze like that with it not moving. Let me do surgery on you and, um, uh, do a tendon transfer in which we will 
it was very, very complex surgery, which I still don't understand. Um, but they move tendons that you aren't using to, to places in your foot where you, when you need mm-hmm. movement. Um, it was very complicated surgery. Um, I didn't walk for several months again after that. I had to relearn how to walk after that again. Um, and uh, that actually made things worse. Um, I got better after that, but in theory, it's my brain that's damaged and not my leg. Yeah. Um, so I, we basically just spent a lot of money and a lot of years trying to get me to do something that I wasn't going to be able to do because my brain is damaged. The nerve pathways from my brain to the side of my body are severed. Um, now, there is there, there are ways to um, what they call find new pathways. That's what a physical ther- therapist would hammer into my brain. Um, to just keep trying because you can find new pathways. Um, and that is so um, relevant to me right now because this is that was 12 years ago, and I, I'm finding that I can do things that I now that I couldn't do then. Um, and I don't know how. Your brain just finds new pathways, and you like, um, I still have lack a lot of movement in my fingers and my wrist. Hmm. And, um, I, I, I learned to be left-handed, by the way. Yeah. Um, but I, like a few years ago, I was playing piano, and I'd always just played with my left hand. And I'd use my index finger on my right hand when I need to. But I looked down, and I noticed that I was playing with both hands. My right hand still felt weak, and you know there was a lot of resistance in which fingers I could put down. But I was still using both hands, and I thought, that's, that's exactly what my, phys- my physical therapists were talking about for so long. Because um, my brain just found new pathways to, to create... Um, movement that my body's been lacking. Um, cool. The human body is absolutely incredible. Um, but all this to say, um, you know, I wear, I wear a leg brace now because years after that, I went to my leg doctor for the last time and he said, all right, we can't help you anymore. And I remember that being the best doctor appointment I'd ever had because they were just straightforward with me. Nobody was trying to fix me. Someone was just because every time a doctor would say, oh, I can fix this, which is, that's that's what they'd all say. You know, I was a teenager at the time and going through so much already. And yeah. I'd pin my hopes on that and think, okay, I'm, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be healed. I'm going to be normal again. Um, and I'd go through something painful and expensive and it wouldn't work or make it worse or something like that. Yeah. And that was really, really hard on me emotionally at the time. Mm. Um, now, if that were to happen now, it probably wouldn't affect me as much emotionally. But at the time, it was really, really hard on me. And so, um, I was, I remember feeling so happy that someone was just straightforward saying like, you're not going to get better. Cause I felt like just a weight off my chest, like, okay, I can stop hoping for something that's not going to happen. And he said, you know, we can outfit you in a leg brace, um, that you'll wear for the rest of your life. Um, you're, it, it, eventually you'll probably have to have surgery because with your ankle stuck in it, stuck in that position, um, it'll freeze up. Um, and he said, but that's the best, you know, it'll keep you from tripping and it'll hold your foot up so you don't trip when you walk. And yeah. so I was like, okay, let's do it. And so that was in 2009. So I've been wearing this leg brace ever since. Um, so I, I'm, I'm legally handicapped. I've been legally, legally disabled since I was 11. Um, and that's now, I'm 23, almost 24. That's now longer than, I'm. I've been disabled longer than I have not been disabled (laughs) so I tell that to people whenever they start to feel sad like oh I'm so sorry that happened to you or whenever someone asks about my leg and so I tell them and it's not what they were expecting like I'm so sorry for bringing that up and I'm like it's okay like (laughs) even if it bothered me I've had a good a darn good long time to like get over that you know because this is 
I mean, yeah, it's it's extremely difficult and inconvenient to be this way, but um, but you have to understand that this is normal life for mm-hmm. me. That sounds sad, but this is what I'm used to. I'm used to taking longer to do things. I'm used to asking. I wonder if I'm able to do that. You know, I'm in a class full of people, you know, like taking aerial silks. I'm used to like, yeah, you know, staring at the instruction I've been given or pondering instruction I've been given and staring at the silk and wondering, I wonder if I'm physically capable of doing this. Let's try it. And not getting disappointed afterward because I'm used to having to, um, take different routes to do things, you know, than other people. Um, but I'm physically incapable of running. I haven't ran in years. Um, I miss that. I do miss that a lot. Um, but, um, after I got out of the hospital, I started struggling with depression. And the scariest thing about that, I wrestled with depression from ages 11 to about 17. Hmm. The scariest thing about whenever I first got out of the hospital was I was a child and I didn't know what depression was. And things are a lot easier to handle if we put names on them. Like, this is anxiety. You are dealing with anxiety. Yeah. Because it has a name and, and you know how to, you can get your hands on it. You can see it. Um, but when you don't know what's attacking you, you don't know if other people have that. You don't know if this is a normal thing, if it's okay to feel this way. You don't mm-hmm. have a name for it. Um, it's a lot scarier, and you don't bother with talking to people about it because you don't know that's something that people talk about, you know. So I was 11 years old and dealing with depression. I didn't realize what that was at the time. A lot of it, um, because I was in a coma, I was on such heavy drugs. Um, those drugs take up to six months to wear off, and a, a wow. common side effect is, is depression. Um, and so a lot of that was the coma drugs wearing off, but um, the depression didn't leave whenever they yeah. did. Um, and uh, I started wrestling with thoughts of suicide because in my mind, um, when, um, at least from what I understand from my experience, when you reach a point of despair in which you are sincerely contemplating ending your life, um, not just that thought you have after the end of a really rough day, but when it's when that becomes practical in your mind, when the illogical um, suddenly seems logical to you, um, that's that's that was the point that I had reached. Um, uh, because you aren't even. I, I don't think that when one is when one is considering that, I don't think that they're even thinking clearly. And I'm not saying that. It, Anybody who's dealt with that um, didn't, doesn't have a right to feel that way. That's not what I'm saying at all because mm-hmm. I totally understand what it's like to feel that way. Um, but you reach a point where what was once illogical to you is logical and seems practical. I was 11 years old, and that, that made more sense in my mind than living did. Yeah. Um, and so I, I thought that clearly God had made a mistake um, because everybody had been so... There were so many wonderful people who were praying for me. I remember writing a letter to a church in Russia and a church in Mexico because they were praying for me. Somehow word had gotten out. Um, they'd been praying for me when I was in the hospital. And so many people were so good to us and, um, um, you know, really taking time to, to, to pray for uh, my survival. And I felt afterward almost hurt by that because everybody stopped rejoicing once I got out of the hospital. And that's when it got real for me. I was asleep, you know, during the worst of it. And then I woke up and I suddenly was, my world was 
turned upside down and I didn't know what to do and people just kind of forgot about it afterward. They didn't know what yeah. I was having to deal with. And um, and that that's not an error on their part, um, but I just kind of, it was upsetting to me because um, I felt like, I felt like God had performed this miracle just so he could get a bunch of high fives from people and then just left me. Um, mm-hmm. wow. And I, I felt, I very much related to um, the Israelites whenever they were in the desert. You know, they were freed from slavery, but then they were just, they kept asking, you know, did God bring us out into the wilderness to die? And that's what I felt like. Um, I remember telling him, I said, um, you know, we're, we're all real impressed here that you were, saved my life, but you didn't finish the job. Yeah. Um, either it was your, you, either it was your task to, to kill me, and you just didn't want to, or I don't, I don't know what's up here, but something's wrong. And I would imagine my future, and it terrified me. As a child, growing up sounds scary. You don't want to grow up, you know. Yeah. But <laughs> when you realize that you do not have the means to drive a vehicle, hold a pencil, take a test. Um, as a child, um, it's scary. Those things that you look to for security, you know. Um, I've always had really wonderful parents who have been there for me. But I would imagine it would be similar whenever your security, your parents, you know, leave. People who have dealt with that, I would, I would imagine it would be similar as when my, my physical capabilities. Um, I, could, I had trouble even recalling my friends' names, which we just sort of laughed about that then because we were still kind of, we are still children in our minds. And um, it didn't hit me at, at first what exactly was taking place in my body and my brain Yeah. right after I got out of the hospital. But a few months afterward, it all started to hit me and I, it, my future terrified me. And I remember telling God, like, I don't have what it takes to, to go on. And so I need you to, to please just in my life. And I asked him that. Um, but I, uh, I wrestled with depression on and off for, for several years. So I was about 17. Um, I believe that there are many forms of depression, and I, I believe that um, some people's is, is um, bettered by medicine. Um, others aren't affected positively in that way, and I understand that for some people it's a chemical imbalance. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, that depression was spiritual. Um, I'm sure that if I'd been medicated, it might have helped. Um, but nonetheless... Um, it was, it was a daily decision that I had to make in my mind. Like, I'm going to choose um, to not let that have power over me today. And um, I had to really seek God about that because um, that's not something you can do on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for my point, I'm not saying other people's is all spiritual. Um, I know that um, the enemy, the devil, I mean, will, will use whatever he can. He'll use your depression to get to you. Um, and I believe he'll use anybody's depression to get to them. But for in my personal situation, mine was spiritual. And um, that was, fortunately, I'm, I'm very, very grateful to say that um, that was conquered at one point and I, I don't wrestle with it anymore. Um, but it was just a, it was a daily decision. Like, I'm going to choose to not let that have authority over me today. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to give it that right. And, um. So, um, fast forward several years, um, I, I'm in uh, New Orleans in 2011, 12, sometime around then, 
and um, I was on a mission trip with some friends and we were cleaning this paraplegic man's house. Um, his house was really dirty and he just needed help taking care of it. And so me and a bunch of friends were in it cleaning and there was a lot of people in there and it was a small house and I didn't really feel like I was able to help. Um, I'd been filming a documentary that week and so um, I, I just sat with him and hung out with him on his um, front lawn and I was just sitting there interviewing him and we were talking and he just, his name was Sammy and uh, Sammy just cried and cried uh, as we talked and he said, you have no idea what this means to me. He said, you guys coming here and cleaning up my house is like God's way of reminding me that I still have a purpose. And I just, I just cried with him because whenever he said that, I feel like that was God's way of reminding me that I still have a purpose. Um, our sacrifices that we make a lot of times are so small, but um, if you get God authority over um, what you have to bring to the table in your day, and think things as small as just, I give you this day, um, he'll go ahead of you and expand on that. And all I was doing was sitting on his front porch. When we were just cleaning his house, that was it. Yeah. I was just sitting on his front porch talking to him. Um, but it reminded me um, that there are people in the world waiting to be impacted by what you have to bring to them, by, by um, what God has um, placed in you and what he has to say through you and your story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it reminded me um, of how selfish I'd been um, before, um, whenever I, I thought about ending my own life, um, mm. because, uh, in, in theory, if, if you end your life today, Matt, who do you think is going to change the lives of the people that you were intended to change, you know, and, um, and when you hear that, it puts things into perspective because you realize, wait a minute, maybe it's not about me after all. Yeah. Um, and, uh, there have been a lot of really cool experiences like that that I've gotten to have, um, such as doing uh, prison ministry. And every time I'm up there playing with those inmates and um, I'm leading worship in prisons um, and talking to them, I, I, I'm always surprised by how much they're impacted because my um, what, what I have to bring, my contribution to that ministry is really small in theory. I'm just up there playing worship songs that I learned and, you know... Um, saying stuff in between songs, you know, here and there. Um, and in theory, that's it's a really small thing to bring to the table, but it's yeah. so humbling to watch God expand upon that and do something supernatural and a lot bigger than what I can bring to the table. And I see tears in, these, in the eyes of murderers and rapists and people that I would regularly not have the ability to have any sort of connection with whatsoever. I mean, why would they want to listen to anything I would have to say? Um, but it's so moving and it reminds me that life is not about ourselves. Yeah. And I think about all the men in there who said, you know, thank you so much for playing that song. That really helped me. That helped me this week. Um, and um, I think how how selfish of me to assume. Um, you know, God, God has been so good at consistently showing me hope in very hopeless places that I talked about. Um, so how selfish of me would it be to not do the same, you know? Um, so... I don't really know where to go from there. <laughs> yeah. No, um, that is that is such an in, like like I I know you personally and I've I've hung out with you a lot and stuff and that's such an inspiring story and such an inspiring thing to see um, and I constantly see you like push the limits and for things and it inspires me every time you challenge a fear and take that over. Um, and I think it's really cool and really neat. Like the p- prison ministry, like I don't, I don't even go out into prisons and do anything, you know. Um, 
but that that's really cool um and would would you say that like one thing that that gets you through is god like gets you through like what you're going through is absolutely yeah we weren't created to carry our burdens ourselves <clears throat> that's why people are so depressed yeah so that's really cool that i i am thankful for you sharing that cuz i feel like there's certain people out there that, that need to hear that um spiritual or not jesus follower or not um sure. it's just a cool story sure. um to Thank hear you. um but yeah um thankful for that um let's um let's talk a little bit about the the prison thing something yeah, sure. something something happened this week I, I i saw an article or something like that um about a guy that was just released um yeah can can you tell us a little bit about that yeah i'd love to um about him specifically or just the prison ministry? Um, just him specifically right now. Um, this inmate, um, so I interviewed an, a former, an, an ex-offender who had been in prison my entire lifetime, 23 years. I know that's not very long, but to me, meeting someone and knowing someone who has been incarcerated since the day I was born and just now stepped out onto um, ground that is not fenced in is mind-blowing to me I think about everything that's changed not just in my life because you you grow up a lot when you're younger um and um sure a lot has changed in me in in 23 years but I just think about like America as a country how many presidents have we've cycled through like the value of the U.S. dollar Mm -hmm. how significantly that's changed the wars that have happened um people that have you know important people um who have died and uh, accomplishments that have been made and like inventions that have come out, you know, and this man's just now coming out to see all of it. Sure. I mean, they have like televisions and stuff like that. So like he knew what an iPhone was and stuff, but yeah. like it's different to, 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 to but, go out there. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> it's almost like, it's so mind boggling to me. Like it, it's almost like an alien, like just now stepping onto earth who's been like watching humanity over time and is just now like experiencing it. And so, um, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to interview him. Also, his story is incredibly powerful because of the transformation that's taken place in his life. Um, but his name is Tom, and I met him in one of the high-medium security men's prisons here in Oklahoma. And uh, he was the inmate who ran sound for me whenever um, I'd come. He'd, he'd uh, uh, give me a mic and you know plug in my guitar and stuff like that. And, um, and I, was, I loved Tom because he always made me feel safe because um, I, I would forget that he was an inmate just because he, he had a job there, you know. I figured, like, I'd always, like, mistake him for a guard or whatever. Um, <laughs> I guess that's, that's not, like, a, a, a uh, an assuring thing to say to someone when you're telling them about when you're a prison. You t- he mistaking an inmate for a guard. <laughs> yeah, he said for me to meet him in this dark alley. Said he was a guard. <laughs> And he had a special radio he wanted to give me. <laughs> what I meant was, like, I would forget, like, oh, yeah, this guy's in here for crimes. Uh, yeah. And he's one of these guys. Um, but uh, he was released last year, and uh, about probably exactly a year from this month. And, um, but anyways, his, his story was, was just that he was, um, he was married before, and... Um, his wife left him because he had been unfaithful and just wasn't a good husband. And 
Uh, he went to prison, and um, his, his sentence was also furthered while he was in there because he was caught in there several times with drugs mm-hmm. um, and, and selling drugs to inmates there in the prison. And um, he was released last year, and when he came out, he said, um, also, I don't know why I forgot this because this is an important factor, but um, the first time he went to that little church building um, that's in the courtyard there that I go to and lead mm-hmm. worship services at, he said the first time he went in there was to sell drugs, <laughs> which is really funny to me. Um, but he uh, started attending Bible studies in there and just really had a life, had, had his life just turned around, and he realized that there's there's a lot more than life than the way he, that he was living. And um, he realized that all these things that he'd been serving... Um, Bob Dylan wrote in a song, you got to serve somebody, which is so true. And he, he said that he realized that he'd been serving all the wrong things. And he, all he was focused on was, you know, building up money in, in the prison and getting high and um, just taking things from people, taking advantage of people. And um, he said that completely flipped around and um, he cared so much about giving. And um, and so he became a believer in, in prison. Um, meanwhile, his wife, he, who he had been married to on the outside, um, uh, married another man. Uh, the man that sh- she married was um, a strong Christian, and she said through knowing him that uh, and watching his lifestyle that she just came to know the Lord as well. Um, well, that man died just a few years ago, and Tom was released from prison, and he said that he felt really convicted to um, go to his ex-wife and just apologize for everything, for being unfaithful to her. And so he's, he met up with her, and um, they just reconnected, and he said they fell in love all over again, and he cried as he told me that. Um, That's awesome. And uh, they remarried uh, this April. Oh, and, <laughs> nice. Oh, my gosh. Like, they have a house together. I went over to their house last weekend, and uh, they made me dinner. And um, you can just tell that they're in love, but that it's genuine. Um, and yeah. that, that it's rooted so much deeper now because uh, because of God and um, and how he brought them together. And um, it's, it's such a beautiful story. And I want everybody to meet him. And I wanted everybody to hear that story, which is why... I, interviewed him and wrote an article about about him because um, it's just so powerful and it's uh, he's just so th- he's such a thankful person and mm. um it just reminds me that like god is capable of restoring anyone in mm. any situation and, and i asked him that i already knew he was going to say yes but i wanted to to look at his countenance when he said it i wanted to know what his face would do when i asked him that and he just smiled so big um and he said yes absolutely i believe that um and it's just an encouraging story to hear. Um, yeah. So. That's very cool. That's very, that's awesome. That's awesome that you're hanging out with an inmate, like, outside <laughs> of, like, <laughs> the prison when that's he comes awesome out. awesome that yeah. you have uh, friends. <laughs> friends. <laughs> <laughs> the only people that will hang out with me. They're inmates. <laughs> I got a lot of them. Uh, we got a lot of them. <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. Um, moving forward from that, um, I thought I'd ask you a funny question. Okay. Um, I hope it's really funny. Uh, it's not super funny, but it's kind of like, uh, it's it's there up in the air. Okay. Um, Lay it on me. It's actually more nerdy, actually a nerdy question. All right. Than, than funny. Let's That's what I should have said. Nerdy question. Um... What trilogy do you love more, Lord of the Rings or Star Wars? People are going to be listening to this. People are going to judge my answer, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Rodriguez. 
Um, actually, I'm not ashamed of this. Um, so, I'll talk about each of them. Star Wars hits more close to home with me because obviously that came out first. Um, I was obsessed with Star Wars when I was little. I love, love the Star Wars story and um, that hits really close to home with me because I grew up with Star Wars. Um, but I'm personally a bigger fan of Lord of the Rings. Whoa. I've actually never read the books. I started reading The Hobbit when I was younger. Um, I never finished it. Um, but I've seen all the movies. Um, the Hobbit movies I'm not as big of a fan of, but I, I, I still appreciate them and enjoy them. Um, the Lord of the Rings movies, I don't think I've ever loved a series of movies more. Really? <laughs> the soundtrack, the oh, costumes, so awesome. the locations. And, and I feel the same way about Star Wars, but something about Lord of the Rings just hits me like right in the feels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's right in like, it, it roots deep into my emotions and I I don't know. I'm, I was really nerdy about Star Wars when I was younger. I still love Star Wars. Yeah. But I think I'm a lot more nerdy about Lord of the Rings being that I, I wear the, I wear the, you've seen the, 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 the ring necklace, that I wear. Yeah. yeah oh, and, oh, you and wear the, the, the ring too. Uh-huh. Right? And the Evan Star necklace. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Immortality. <laughs> yeah. Gotta keep that on. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite, what's your favorite Lord of the Rings, like, movie? It's a good question. I always want to say Return of the King, Hmm. but, because it has so much in it, but, I mean, what's better than the Fellowship of the Ring? Exactly, yeah. That, and the Shire, and that's where it all starts, and, ah. Boromir dies. I mean, that's not happy, but that's, that's... <laughs> it's just a cool scene, though. But he dies in all of his movies, so it's oh, expected. Yeah. Every everything he's in. That have that you ever look, go to YouTube sometime and look up um, Sean Bean death montage? And there's just like it's just like a long montage of all of the movies uh, Sean Bean has died in. <laughs> it's <laughs> actually really funny to watch. <laughs> That's funny. I'll have to check that out. Um, that being said, you have a music video out. Yeah, we just released it last night. Yeah, why, 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 uh, why choose the song and explain the music video a little bit? What it's about? So in the music video, um, I am I am two different characters. Um, I'll call myself an astronaut, and then I'll call myself Susie. So Susie and James are on Mars or just a, a planet that looks like Mars, um, playing the song. Um, but I am also um, a Russian communist cosmonaut um leaving earth um the music video opens with um james is also another character in it and he is also a communist uh, cosmonaut from russia and he's my boss in it and he just shows me a picture of a russian flag and he wants me to bring that to him because we're communists yeah and, um so so i go to james and Susie's planet um James and Susie are aliens, obviously, and I go to their planet to look for this flag. Um, the music video progresses, and um, the astronaut finally sees Susie, and I pull out my ray gun, and I shoot Susie, um, and then I shoot James. Um, Sad ending. But I don't actually win in the end because I never found the flag, and the music video closes with James putting the Russian flag in the ground. Um, and saying, you know, long live Russia, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, and the song was set to Visitor, um, just because it's, it just seemed like a funny song, because we're talking about a visitor, 
and uh, this astronaut is a visitor on this planet, um, invading this planet, being invasive, um, coming to the planet and rifling through uh, our stuff and looking for the Russian flag. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's professionally done and it's supposed to look serious, but it's supposed to be silly. Yeah. And cheesy. I, I like, because our songs tend to be so heavy content-wise, I like the idea of uh, this music video in here on out kind of, like, making fun of the song a little bit, like, making mm-hmm. light of it um, and, and making a little silly. That's how I feel, like, a little bit about explosions in the sky sometimes. Yeah. Like, with that be careful, be comfortable creature, they have, like, a little funny thing, and they have this fuzzy monster, and he's, like, being shaved and stuff. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... That's awesome. Um, also, you're going on tour as well. Yeah. Um, where, like, what are the tour dates and what is it looking like city-state? Um, so, it's only like six or seven dates. It's the first week in August. Um, we were playing in Russellville, Arkansas. We played there last February on tour. Um, and they asked, actually asked us to come back and play again. We had such a good show there. And Springfield, Missouri did the same thing. So we're going back to Springfield as well. And then we are playing in Kansas City, Wichita, St. Louis, and Oklahoma City, I believe. I believe that's all of them. But yeah, it should be fun. This is our third or fourth tour to do. Um, and they've all, we've all been really lucky with the tours that we've done, and they've all really um, worked out in our favor and um, had good shows. So yeah, touring is really fun. Yeah, that would be fun. You say you say tour. So many people tour. I know say tour. Uh, I, tour. Tour. How, how am I supposed to say? Also, it? how do you say since we're on weird words? How do you say? How do you pronounce the holiday that fall falls on October thirty first? The holiday that falls October thirty first. Th- that falls on that day. What what holiday is that? Pronounce oh, that. Oh, Halloween. Say that again. Halloween. Say it one more time. Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> how do you pronounce it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's. I think you're saying it right. People I know that say the word tour instead tour. of tour, which tour. I'm, I might not even tour. be saying it right, tour. but I'm an American and I'm from Oklahoma, and yeah. so I'm going to probably say things wrong. It's just interesting to me that people say the word tour and people say, pronounce um, Halloween as Halloween. Halloween? Like, yeah. So many people I know do that. I've never heard of that. How do you pronounce a thing that you, a colorful wax coloring utensil? A, a crayon? Say it again. Crayon? Yeah, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm glad we're at least a little bit on the same yeah. page. Well, I know I know. there's like creek and crick. I know those are like... Crick? Yeah, people say that here. Like ever since I've moved here, there's like creek and crick. Uh, I'm sorry <laughs> I had to meet those people. Yeah. <laughs> this is what Oklahoma is? Yeah. And then uh, I know like I used to have a friend that used to say water instead of water. 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 That yeah. is a very lazy pronunciation. <laughs> Here is a word, but I'm gonna say it how I please. <laughs> but yeah, um, how can we? How can we support you? How can people support you, or um, like help you get up in the world? Um, buy our album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come to our shows. Um, you can buy our album on uh, our page, which is brotherrabbit.bandcamp.com. And order it digitally. Bandcamp. Bandcamp. That's awesome. Okay. And uh, you can you can download it digitally, or you can also order a physical copy, um, or you can come to our shows. Um, we 
share them on social media. Um, you can buy our merchandise or uh, just come and donate. Um, yeah. All right, cool. Well, guys, support Brother Rabbit and Susie. Thank you for being on, and I hope the Thanks, the audience Ryan. likes all the things you said. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, so much pressure. <laughs> Maybe I should have sent Star Wars. <laughs> well, I'll see you guys later. You guys have a... Is that what you're supposed to say at the end of the podcast? No. See ya. See ya. <laughs>